0: and welcome back to Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate our voices across William & Mary's campus.
1: Yes, and today we are excited to bring to you William & Mary alum Kelly Gorman. She is the health promotion specialist at Columbia University, where she oversees initiatives related to resilience, nutrition, sleep, and stress management. Uh, today, Kelly will be discussing a new approach that Columbia is developing and implementing that is moving away from this nutrition science frame of
0: reference. Kelly, I know you're no longer on campus, so tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Hello, and thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here and very honored to join you all in this podcast. Today, I'm coming to you from New York City. And prior to today, I was a William & Mary alum. So I went to William & Mary for undergrad and was a member of HOPE. Health Outreach Peer Educators, that's really where I found my passion and love for public health and health promotion. Working with Eric and Kelly Crace and Sarah Menefee and so many other fantastic folks around campus, I really was able to learn so much about health promotion. And then I actually shared two alma maters with Eric because I pursued my master's degree in public health at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. That was really cool studying outside of the United States, I had never done that before. So I really got to learn from an education system that is oriented around fundamentally different values than the one that I grew up in and really get that international perspective related to health promotion, related to public health. That definitely informs the way that I do my work now. And now I work at Columbia University. And as Lindsay said, I am a health promotion specialist there.
0: So tell us more about the reasons why this new approach came that you're developing around nutrition.
2: One of the biggest gifts was that we had a clean slate. We recognized that we were at a turning point in our initiatives, and we had tried a lot of things in the past. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. And we are at a point where we realized we we want to try something new. We want to think about how can we build a more comprehensive picture? How can we help students flourish more deeply, but also across so many more dimensions of their well-being? So at the core of our, our why here for developing this is recognizing that particularly related to nutrition science and ways that we've talked about food in the past, there tend to be histories of white supremacy and systems of oppression that have played out that have disproportionately marginalized people who tend to be Black, Indigenous, or people of color. And so with that, we recognize that if we want to move forward and we really do value inclusion, we need to take some time to understand that history. We need to understand the ways in which that's operated so that we can try to dismantle it when we move forward. The other big part of, of our why is looking at multidimensionality, is looking at how we even talk about well-being right now, which is quite different than it was five years ago and even, even 10 years ago. And with that, we, we do so much work around promoting the multidimensionality of well-being. Everyone has multiple dimensions of it, and we need to develop relationships with that well-being. Well, when we develop relationships with different parts of our health, too, and and really set intentionality and behind it we're able to more deeply flourish. So those two main things of of really how can we live out our value of inclusion and how can we make sure that any approach we're developing is also reflective of these new trends in the field and best practice.
1: Kelly, so why is nutrition science not inclusive as it stands?
2: Yeah, that's that's the million-dollar question, right? And it's such an important one to take time to consider as well. In many ways that have been both intentional and unintentional, it's, it's caused this harm. So in one way, the notion of nutrition science has helped to formulate some of the more singular ideals around what an ideal body type is. And in doing so, this relates to other forms of oppression. So, you know, we see racism, we see sizeism, we see ableism, sexism, transphobia. All of these things are kind of the product of having just one body type ideal which this is an unintentional consequence of nutrition science. So nutrition science in no way promotes that. And we see throughout our society as an unintended consequence is that reality. On a deeper level, when we think and look at it, people have been eating food since people existed on earth. So that's one other thing to, to consider is that people have different ways of relating with food. At the core of it is that there are so many different ways of knowing about food. And nutrition science is just one of them. So nutrition science is something that's been developed in Western cultures to kind of break food down to its smallest possible components, its nutrient level. And the idea is that if we can understand food at the smallest possible level of nutrients, then we can modify things, we can impact people's health by just combining nutrients in different ways. And in doing this, we're already putting kind of a Western view and lens to how we're talking about food if we're approaching it at this whole systems level by the nutrient and nutrition science basis. So it's really, really important nutrition science and, and there's so much to learn from it. And too often we've seen nutrition science as the whole story. And in reality right now, it needs to be just one part of that equation because there are indigenous communities that have different ways of knowing about food and how, how that relates to your health. There are different cultures all across the globe that we're just not necessarily exposed to. And so how can we have a center that really values that multiplicity, that really values all of these different ways of knowing about food so that our students can develop this really deep relationship with food, with their food body relationships, and access these different ways of knowing whenever it's relevant and and right for them to do so.
0: So Kelly, if this is not about, you know, kilocalories and macronutrients and things, what is it about? What is this framework you're talking about?
2: Yeah, so so for some, it might be about that. And that's okay. And that's the kind of cool thing about it. But what this is really about is building a healthy food body relationship with yourself. And it might sound super simple and it can be, but it's also more complicated than that. It's recognizing that our relationships with food depend on so many different factors in our lives. It might be dependent on time, it might be dependent on culture, it might be dependent on a whole host of different things. And at the end of the day, our hope is that students can develop an intentional relationship with their food-body relationships and find harmony.
1: And then where does nutrition fit into all of this and and the role of dietitians? Absolutely. So like I said, that's a really important
2: science that we have, and we have so many great resources. Uh, I know at William & Mary and also at Columbia related to nutrition science. So for us, this is just one piece of the puzzle. It's a much broader picture, and they play a really, really vital role within that picture. They're just not at the center of it. When we talk about harmony across your food-body relationships, so within within your food-body relationship, you have multiple dimensions. And then within that, each dimension can, can have a healthy expression, but it can also have an unhealthy expression, And so it's taking space to build those skills to recognize, when am I having a healthy expression of this dimension? What does an unhealthy expression look like? And when does that happen? So for many students, as they work to find that harmony, a dietitian could be a really fantastic resource for them to learn more about the way food interacts with their bodies if that's related to some of the themes that they're trying to get at when they work out what harmony looks like for them within those multiple dimensions of their food-body relationship.
0: So what does this mean for students who take your workshops? What have you heard from them?
2: It's been really cool because we've seen that students take different things from this workshop. And I think that that kind of speaks to the power of it in some ways. One student talked about how they really appreciated that this helped this helped them get to a place where they can have more shame and guilt-free eating. We had another student who, who talked about they really enjoyed getting to understand when they should eat to enjoy food and when they should eat just for the nutrition of it. And then another student talked about how this workshop helped them think about eating to nourish their body and their soul. So ultimately, everyone will get something different out of it. And that's kind of the point. We're trying to build those internal skills for students that can help them more deeply flourish by clarifying what it is that's important to them in there and recognizing how is, how is that congruent with your behaviors on, on a daily basis? And how can we make sure that you're striving for harmony if you're not in harmony right now?
1: And how, how do we find harmony with our food-body relationship?
2: So with that, there's there's not an easy answer to it. There's a lot of self-reflection that someone needs to do. And with that, we, we like to create peer spaces at Columbia where students can talk to each other. I think learning from other people and how they're navigating their own relationships can be really helpful to learn maybe what what you might try out on your own. A lot of it comes from really kind of courageous self-reflection and, and taking the time and space to iron out what are the different dimensions of this relationship that I have in my life? What does it look like when I'm expressing this dimension in a healthy manner? What does it look like when I'm expressing it in a less healthy manner? And once you have that picture painted out in front of you, it's deciding what's what's most right for you to move forward.
1: So can you talk a little bit about that food-body relationship and start to integrate those pieces of multidimensional wellness? Like what is that food-body relationship as it connects to your financial well-being, your emotional well-being? Can you give us a few examples of that?
2: Absolutely. It was amazing talking with students about all of the different dimensions that they felt in their food-body relationship. And Lindsay, as you just named a few, for some students, food is going to primarily be about uh, finances and finding money to, to get food or trying to go to all of the workshops like mine or others around campus that serve free food at it because that's how you're going to get your next meal. So in many ways, this, this allows students who experience food insecurity to connect with conversations around their food body relationship because it's really valid that there's going to be times where your primary driver of what you choose to eat and what you choose not to eat is dependent on on the money that you have available to you. We see other students where performance is the most important thing in their food-body relationship. You know, working with some of our varsity athletes, when they're in season, when they have a competition coming up, they're really trying to eat, they're trying to sleep, they're trying to do everything for that performance. So that's another dimension that, that might be really salient for someone at that moment in time. And then there are other students who their primary or their most salient dimension of their food-body relationship might be driven by their spirituality or their religion, and talking about food in this way allows us to include folks who have all sorts of different identities, but also who have all sorts of different priorities at their life in this moment in time. Uh, something we've touched on, but I'm reminded of, is in so many traditional kind of nu- nutrition science models, inclusion is something that's mixed in after the fact. So you might make a food pyramid, and then once it's made from you know the US-centric kind of lens, then someone says, oh, wait, we have to be inclusive. And so then they go and they apply the same food pyramid, but to different cultures and to to different countries around the world. And in in doing that, for some, it can feel really isolating. So those are still available. Those are still accessible, and that's important. But in in moving away from that as being centered, we actually see that students who may have felt like their culture, their their community was miscaptured in that, they're feeling more included in in this type of an approach because it really has that center that is around your own relationship with your own food, with your own body, with your own nutrition.
0: Kelly, when I think about like eggs benedict with some unctuous hollandaise sauce or a really moist chocolate brownie, what role does pleasure play in uh, this food-body relationship piece?
2: Eric, I think that's a fantastic question because that's another example of a dimension. It seems like maybe it's clicking too because – For some people, they're gonna eat for pleasure. Now, for some people, when they're eating for pleasure, that might cause them to have an unhealthy expression of another dimension, which might be more tied to their health. So, for me, if I'm feeling the saliency of health or nutrient focus of my food body relationship, and I'm also recognizing that I wanna eat for pleasure, and that becomes something that's really important for me, I might have competing dimensions there. I might have competing priorities or, or values in that moment. And how can I prioritize one and or how can I express both of those dimensions without creating an unhealthy expression of another? So then it's having that difficult conversation of saying like, all right, what does compromise look like? What does it look like for me to have at least a somewhat healthy expression of different dimensions of my food body relationship? Even when I have a dimension that feels most salient for me right now, I have a value that feels most salient for me right now. I want to act on it. But I want to act on it without kind of triggering unhealthy expression of other parts of this relationship that are also important to me.
1: Thanks, Kelly. And for our parting words, do you have any tips on how people can further develop that food-body relationship?
2: I think at the core of it is recognizing that your relationship with food should be one that brings you joy, one that has meaning in your life, and one that ultimately helps connect you to your well-being, helps you flourish on, on deeper levels, So the pursuit of building that healthy food-body relationship is worthwhile and setting time to really map out what your relationship looks like, what's most important to you, what does it look like when you're living out or expressing certain dimensions in a healthy expression, what does it look like when there's an unhealthy expression, and then at that meta level, what would harmony look like between all of those different dimensions?
1: I'm hearing some similarities between um, the resources that we have available in CMAX, our Center for Mindfulness and Authentic Excellence, and a lot of the work that's being done in health promotion as well. So that seems like a great on-campus resource, such a unique twist. I love to look at your relationship with how you're feeding yourself through that lens of values.
0: What I like is that it doesn't seem so like American-centric or Mm -hmm. it, it does deviate from the food plate and the food pyramid and it brings more of that personal piece in there. Um, you know, we've been talking about intuitive eating for a while, and I think this is you know, even beyond that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, it really does open up that conversation of inequality and in the relationships mm, with food. And, mm. you know, these are not necessarily always things that we're, we're thinking of. Really thankful that you're bringing that that to light and, and starting these conversations.
0: I just love the fact that, you know, we've always said all food serves a purpose. And this just sounds like you're you're right there. You're on top of this.
1: Kelly, thank you so much for your time today and being with us and and sharing all of this work that you're doing.
0: I'd like to echo that. Thank you so much for spending time with us this afternoon.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. It has been such an honor and a privilege to be here. So thanks.
1: All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Ways to Flourish.
0: And as always, this episode was produced by Eric Garrison, Lindsay Heck, Brittany Emmons and Colin Cross.
1: And thank you so much to our sponsors, United Healthcare. We'll see you next time.